Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Today we are in excuse me, Revelation chapter 6. We're going to look at the fifth and the sixth seal, uh, beginning in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 6. As you're turning there, uh, I would encourage you to continue to pray um, for our country, uh, especially around the area of life right now, as that has been brought to the forefront of everything uh, with this leaked document from the uh, Supreme Court. Regardless of what happens with the Supreme Court, all it means is is that the fight for life moves to the state level. Um, Even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it just means that it now becomes a state's rights issue, a 10th Amendment issue rather than a 14th Amendment issue. It doesn't mean that abortion is over in our country. It means that it just moves to a state level. So continue to pray. Continue to um, seek God's peace and God's glory in this very difficult situation. Today, we do look at God's word that he speaks to us, even in the midst of our difficult situation today, as he reveals it in Revelation chapter six, beginning in verse nine. Hear the word of the Lord. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony or the witness they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Let us pray. Triune God through the work of Jesus Christ in his life, his death, his resurrection, And in his current work of intercession, you have called us into a reconciled relationship with the Father. Through the regeneration and illumination of the Holy Spirit, we are able to see your glory in your word and to work out the holiness that he has worked in us. Lead us today to understanding, to love, and to holiness through this word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 94, verses 1 through 7 say this, O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, O Lord. They oppress your inheritance They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob pays no heed. 
As we look around the world and see that oftentimes the wicked flourish and the righteous are oppressed, we are drawn into the question of the psalmist. How long, O Lord? It is as if the psalmist and we ourselves are saying, Covenant God, you have promised to reward your people and punish the wicked. But as I look around the world, all I see is oppression of the righteous and comfort for the wicked. When will you act? Now the psalmist goes on in Psalm 94 to highlight that God is neither blind nor deaf. He truly hears the pleas of the righteous. He will truly act on the behalf of the afflicted. And our passage today picks up this theme on a cosmic level as the saints in heaven who have lived and died in faithfulness to their call and in faithfulness to the testimony that they had maintained. Cry out to the Lord, how long until you vindicate us and avenge our blood upon the evil inhabitants? And as we look at the answer in the fifth and the sixth seal, to the question, how long, O Lord, we, we find a much more important question, which is the question we ended with, who can stand? So as we look to the fifth and sixth seal, we will not only hear how long, but we will compare and contrast the coverings of both the righteous and the wicked as they seek to answer the question, who can stand? So the first four seals viewed all of history from the perspective of, well, death. Death through war, death through civil strife, death through, through famine, death through pestilence. And we were reminded that basically all of life is marked by death and the forces of Satan will use death to attack the church and to attack the people of God. The fifth seal shifts our perspective to a heavenly scene. And, and in this scene, John sees the souls of saints underneath the altar there in the throne room of God. Which altar is this? This is likely the heavenly representation of the altar of incense that was found there in both the temple and the tabernacle right before the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies. And it was on this 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 altar of incense that we learn in Leviticus 16, 15 through 19, that the, the goat that was slain for the sins of the people is poured out upon this altar and incense is burned so that the priest could be covered and could be seen as holy as he entered the most holy place to sanctify it once again as the place where God's holiness resides amongst an unholy people. We also see the link in Revelation 5.8 between incense as the prayers of God's people. And in Revelation 8.3, the prayers of God's people stop off at the altar of incense to be, pray, to be filled with the intercession of Christ before they are taken to God. And so we see this as the access point to the holiness, the holy place of God. And, and in seeing these saints below this offer, altar, we see the saints there in the presence of God. And as they reside there in the presence of God, they ask the question, how long, O Lord? They have sacrificed their lives in faithfulness to the testimony of the one who is holy and true, the one revealed in Revelation 1 and Revelation 3 to be the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have seen... Uh, uh, faithfulness of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 as, 
as some of the churches would suffer economic persecution. Some of the churches would suffer imprisonment for holding to the testimony and some would suffer even death for holding to the testimony of him who is true. In short, these people are the ones who died in faithfulness, holding to their testimony about the one who is holy and the one who is true. There are two ways for us to die in faithfulness to the testimony to the one who is holy and true. And the first way to die in faithfulness to that testimony is what we refer to today as martyrdom. In his history of the church, written in 350 A.D., Eusebius gives accounts of those who gave their lives over the first three centuries of the history of the church. In 1563, John Day published Fox's Book of Martyrs to chronicle 1,500 years of men and women who had given their lives for the faithfulness to the one who is holy and true. In the Voice of the Martyrs magazine and radio broadcast, we can highlight people even today who give their lives because of holding to their testimony for him who is faithful and true. There are some places in our world today where you may be called to serve, where your life may be forfeit for holding in faithfulness to that testimony of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the gospel he brings. But there is another way to give your life, to live your life and to give it in faithfulness to him who is holy and true. And it is found in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for man to gain the whole world and let lose his soul or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Daily pursuing faithfulness, daily pursuing holiness, living all of your life from the time that you come to be a child of God through the work of the Spirit and the work of Christ until the day you die, seeking to live in holiness, seeking to live out the call to faithfulness that you that God has in your life is a way to be found there under the altar with the saints, having died in faithfulness to the testimony of him who is holy and true. How do we live that faithful life day in, day out? We start with the seven letters to the seven churches that we have already reviewed. Jesus called the church in Ephesus, he called them to balance their love of truth with a love of God and a love of neighbor, neighbor that does not compromise the truth. To the church in Smyrna, he called them to hold tight to the hope that they had in him and in him alone as they faced persecution. To the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira, he calls them to avoid compromising with sexual sin and to cast out those who do so unrepentantly. Jesus calls the church in Sardis to live holy lives as they live and move in the world around them. To the church of Philadelphia, he said, patiently hold on to the promises as they would face persecution. And to the church in Laodicea, he said, wake up and abandon the world's definition of holiness and follow wholehearted, intimate commitment to Jesus and to his truth. As Jesus said in Luke 9, we live faithfully by taking up our cross 
dying daily to our own wants, to our own desires, to our own sinful thoughts and actions and living and loving God in the way that he defines. Pursuing holiness according to his definition. Not compromising in order to find acceptance. Not cutting corners on holiness in order to avoid name calling or persecution. To be found faithful, you and I are called to live out every day in the faithful pursuit of love and holiness according to God's truth and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as John reveals to us, the faithful in the presence of God are asking how long? This question is is rooted in God's justice, not in vengeance. God has promised that he will vindicate his people and judge those who persecute his people. And the saints in heaven are saying, we died living faithfully for you, taking the ridicule, taking the violence, taking the death that the world and the enemy handed out. How long until you will show your justice? How long until you are true to your promises, O Lord? And God answers them with a gift and with a command. They are gifted with white robes. In the book of Revelation, white robes are a symbol of holiness and righteousness that are given to the children of God. They are robes that are made white as they are dipped in the blood of the lamb who was slain and yet is lived and yet lives again. It is a symbol that 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 we do not have a righteousness of our own, but we have Christ's righteousness placed upon us. But in addition to righteousness, they are signs of honor and signs of dignity. Those who die in faithfulness to their testimony of him who is holy and true are raised up in dignity and honor in the presence of God. The world seeks to shame the saints by calling them names, throwing them in prisons, taking their lives. But just as God put glory through the defeat of the cross, he gives glory to his saints who are shamed by the world. They're also commanded to rest. They're given a gift of white robes, of righteousness and honor. They are also commanded to rest. The word wait that we have here. After they say, how long, O Lord? And he gives them the, uh, he gives them the, the robe. He says, wait a little longer. That word wait there is actually the word rest as translated in other places within the Bible. Why, why do the saints in heaven need to rest? Well, that intermediate state, that time between our death and the return of Christ is is a time for those who died in their faithfulness to rest from their weariness, to be reinvigorated in their worship and to, to, to be strengthened in the presence of their God who gifts them with righteousness and with honor. But how long do they rest? How long do they wait? They basically rest and wait until God is satisfied until the time is full. In Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul said that Jesus' first advent, which secured the salvation for rebels, came when time was full or when God had ordained that everything was perfectly ready. And Jesus' advent will happen in the same way. When God ordains that time is full and perfectly ready, Jesus will return. 
In Romans 11, we are told that that time is marked by a number of people, a number of Gentiles who will come to faith in Christ, to trust in the good news of salvation through Jesus. Here we are told that a certain number of those who will die in their faithfulness must be fulfilled before Christ returns. In a passage of Paul, he writes that our suffering fills up the suffering of Christ. There is a certain amount of suffering that will bring glory to God that must happen before Jesus returns. But from the perspective of heaven, notice that it is just a little while. It is just a short time. When we think about our own lives against the backdrop of eternity, even against the backdrop of of the earth since it was first created, our 70 to 80 to 90 to 100 years are but a breath or but a vapor or but a short time. And in a short time, according to God's time schedule, when everything is full, he will return and his justice will be seen fully. And the rest, the vindication of his saints will be seen fully. We get a taste of this as we open the sixth seal. We get a taste of what it will look like as as John sees the lamb open the sixth seal. And there's these these series of, of natural disasters, if you will, that will occur. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell as late figs drop from the, street, the, the tree when shaken by a strong wind, the sky will, will recede like a, roll that is, a scroll that is stretched tight and ripped down the middle, rolls up upon itself, and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. Each and every one of these is taken from an Old Testament picture of either the day of the Lord, the great day when God comes in judgment, or what it looks like when a nation falls, when an empire falls under the judgment of God. Nations rise, nations fall, and, and oftentimes we see nations and empires as permanent things that will be here forever and will usher in whatever glorious future we hope they will usher in. But God says nations and states and empires all fall under the judgment of God, and, and oftentimes their judgment looks like the day of the Lord as he comes in judgment upon the earth. But, but John is, is borrowing language from the Old Testament here to show not just the judgment upon an empire or a nation, but to show the end time judgment. And we know this because he gives us a list of people in verse 15. Kings of the earth, princes, generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave, every free man, every free man are here and they go to hide in caves, which we'll look at here in just a moment. But we see this same list of people, this this same list of seven categories of people show up once again in Revelation 19, verse 18 and 19, but they don't go to hide in caves. As the judgment begins to fall in Revelation 19, they go to worship the beast. And these men and these men and women that that come from the very powerful to the very weak, that come from the very rich to the very poor, every segment of society is covered in this list will go to hide as this judgment comes upon them in spectacular fashion. As we read 
in Isaiah chapter two, they go to hide because they know that the dread of the Lord is coming. And as, a, and as, a, as is revealed here, they come and hide for the wrath of the Lord and the lamb has come. Now, before we look at that, let's, let's ask a question. Will these things happen at some point in the future? Will there be a great earthquake? Will the sun turn black? Will the moon turn red? Will the stars fall to the earth? Will the sky recede and every mountain and island be shaken? Yes and no. We are looking at the book of Revelation under the, 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 uh, the filter that all these things are symbolic. And remember, when, when John describes God seated upon his throne, he uses earthly describable things to describe the indescribable. We're okay with that when it comes to the glories of God. Oftentimes we forget that when it comes to the glories of God's wrath as it comes in judgment. So will the sun darken? I posit that it has darkened already. As Jesus hung on the cross, we're told in Mark 9, from the hours of noon to three, the sun wept and mourned in darkness. But there will come a time when all of creation is shaken to its very foundations in a way that we cannot imagine and that John could not describe except in borrowing these words from the Old Testament that spoke of God's judgment upon the earth. But why must the earth be shaken? Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 25, gives us the answer. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and all, all for our God is a consuming fire. What John describes here in the sixth seal will happen so that what is perishable may come forth as imperishable. We talk about, Paul talks about in Romans 8, creation groaning in anxious anticipation of being remade in its full glory instead of being subject to the horrors of sin that humanity has subjected it to. And we see here for the first time, but not for the last, we see here for the first time in the book of Revelation, a glimpse into what that will look like. The sky will change, the earth will change, Everything will change as God remakes the earth into the new heavens and the new earth where we will reside forever with him. Glory, hallelujah, as beautiful as this earth is, it will be far more glorious once it is freed from man's rebellion. But at the beginning of this great shakeup, we see these, this group of people that covers all parts of humanity. We see them run. We see them hide. And why do they run and hide? It's because the great wrath of the Lord is coming and they know that they deserve that they deserve to have it fall on them a hundred percent. 
In Romans 1, Paul states that fallen humanity knows and yet denies that they are under judgment. But when God arrives in his promised wrath and justice, you will convict yourself before him. In this world, you may have tried to hide behind some type of comparative righteousness, saying to yourself, well, at least I'm not as bad as, you know, so-and-so. You know, I'm righteous compared to them. But when you find yourself face-to-face with God's wrath and justice against sin, you will convict yourself in your attempts to hide from his holiness, from his wrath, from his justice. And then the question is asked, Who can stand? And the question is answered as we compare the fifth and the sixth seal. In the fifth seal, the saints in heaven are covered with the white robes of honor and glory and righteousness. Being covered in those white robes, they rest secure in the presence of God. In the sixth seal, those who bow in allegiance to the beast try to cover themselves with the mountains. If you could dig the deepest hole possible underneath Mount Everest and have it fall upon you, brothers and sisters, it is still not enough to hide you from the wrath and the judgment of a God who is a consuming fire. Brothers and sisters, I plead and beg each of you today to search your heart and to make sure that you are covered with the righteousness of Jesus before you face that great day of wrath that will come. How long, O Lord, when everything is ready? Who can stand? Only those covered by the righteousness of Jesus. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we take this promise too lightly. We think we can compromise with your holiness. We think we can look at your law and say, well, that part doesn't apply to me anymore. We think we can take our own good works, our own good righteousness and and hand it to you and say, this is enough. You will accept me. Lord, you remind us over and over again throughout your scripture from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation 22. That nothing is enough. Nothing will cover our sin, our shame, our guilt before you except for that glorious righteousness of Christ. Shine the lights in our hearts so that we may see and be assured that we are truly covered. And if you shine that light and we find that we are not, may we finally once and for all surrender to you. Admitting to you that our righteousness is nowhere near enough, even if our righteousness could go as high as Mount Everest and as deep as the Mariana Trench, it would never be enough to cover us from your wrath. So Lord, draw us close to you. Help us to see the glory that you give in our weakness. Help us to show that glorious light to ourselves to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we go, as we wait, as we ask how long, take this blessing upon you. Jesus says to his saints, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.